Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. It's time for another edition of Cover Your Assets KC. Walter Storholt here alongside David Dickens, President and Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors, serving you in Kansas City with an office in Overland Park. You can find us online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. David, great to be with you once again this week. How are you? I'm just doing great. Got through all that super nasty, super cold uh, February weather, and now we're kind of on to March and maybe some sunshine and some good stuff. You're polishing up the golf clubs already, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a glass sometimes half empty, sometimes half full story. <laughs> but you know, every spring, hope springs eternal. And so I'm thinking I'm going low at least a couple times this year. There you go. Very nice. I was going to say uh, you, you should probably have responded to that with, um, I always keep the golf clubs polished. You're always ready to go at a moment's notice. I know that. Well, that's pretty much true, too. <laughs> well, very good. Glad that uh, maybe some uh, some brighter and uh, lighter days are on the way for us all as we uh, turn the page towards spring here pretty soon. Uh, if you have any questions for us on the podcast ever, by the way, Feel free to reach out. You can go to CoverYourAssetsKC.com to submit questions on the website or call 913-317-1414. And every once in a while, we do these mailbag editions of the podcast where we take questions from listeners across the area and uh, feature them here on the show. And we've got a couple of good ones to toss David's direction this week. So, David, question number one, and by the way, we've got questions about uh, real estate investments is going to be kind of our first one. Uh, then we're going to have a little bit of a you know topic about 401k funds that's going to pop up. I think that's going to be target date funds, that kind of thing. And then our last question of the day is going to be about um, HSAs, the healthcare savings accounts, and maxing out contributions for those. So we'll get into the nuances of each question here. So the first one comes to for us from Eli, and Eli says, which is a better real estate investment strategy? Pay off my house sooner or save up for a rental property? With interest rates currently so low, I'm tempted to keep paying the regular mortgage payments instead of trying to pay off the house sooner. That way, I could instead start saving for a down payment to buy another house in five to 10 years and then later use my current home as a rental property. What do you think of that strategy? Well, so Eli packed a ton of different issues. We could have done two podcasts. A with, few moving parts in that one. With the different elements of Eli's question. But it's an awesome question. I love uh, mixing in a real estate strategy with your other strategies you're using to try to get to the retirement you like. I did that as a young man. It has worked out terrific. So I really like the strategy, Eli. There are a bunch of different ways you can go. So I don't know your age, and it's not necessarily important. I don't know. You said that interest rates are currently low, so you're tempted to keep your regular mortgage. So that implies to me you've got a nice, low, fixed-rate mortgage. Perfect. Opinions will vary, but my opinion is there's no good reason to accelerate that pay down if you have a 3 or 25 or two and a quarter percent fixed-rate mortgage. I mean, rates could go lower, but probably not over your lifetime. So I would not use my excess money to accelerate that payment. If you wanted to build up, a, uh, and, and I assume you've got a liquidity fund already, one of the things about real estate investments is they're illiquid. You can borrow against the properties if times are good. When times are, are bad, a bank, banks will only lend you money when you don't need it and when times are good. But when times are bad, it's really tough to, to make them into liquid money. So you can um, save up money for the next down payment. 
turn that into a, you could buy a rental property or as you suggested, you could turn your current home into the rental property and live in the new place. Either is a perfectly great strategy. I've done both. My very first house that we ever owned as young marrieds became my first rental property. And it worked out great. And then I eventually sold that and bought a duplex with it. So there are a lot of different ways, Eli. You can, there's some really good books out there. You can do a lot of reading on it. A couple of caveats. There's, you know, there's always, on the other hand, type of issues that you want to think about. So while I love this strategy, and rentals can be great investments because somebody else, your renters, are paying down your mortgage. So over time, you're going to end up with a with a real a piece of real estate that doesn't have a mortgage because your renters kept paying you over those many years. You're going to be able to depreciate that building uh, a little bit each year, which is a write-off against your current year taxes. So that's a good thing. But the risk that I want you to think about, Eli, is if you're, if you're kind of um, running a tight budget at home, well, let's say that for one reason or another, your property, or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a duplex, and maybe both sides of the property go vacant for a month or two or three or four. So then you're not only paying your own mortgage, but you're paying the mortgage on your rental property. And let's say you got real prolific at this, and you bought two or three or four rental properties, and you have a couple of vacancies. So one of your risks is, that you don't have cash coming in, but the, the mortgage lender on the other side of the transaction, you have to keep paying them or they're going to come and get your property. So, you know, that's a risk. Uh, you have the risk in real estate. They always say location, location, location. So you certainly have the risk that the neighborhood you buy into could go downhill. And then you might not have an appreciating asset. It might actually go down in value. Uh, so you just want to make sure that you're picking a really good location for yourself. Funny uh, anecdote, when we bought our rental properties, uh, we lived in the, pretty close to the neighborhood where we bought them. But then as you know, our kids got to be school age, we decided to move out further and further south in Kansas City. Well, our rentals, which used to be five minutes away, are now about 30 minutes away. So when I have to go over there, it's a little bit more of a drive, but not a huge thing. So one other thing to consider, Eli, um, just... Last week, when we were having these incredibly frigid temperatures in Kansas City, on Monday morning, I got a call from one of my renters. And on Thursday morning, in a different building, I got a call from another renter. And each time, they had a furnace that had quit. So, you know, whether it's 10 p.m. in the summer, in the dead of summer, and the AC goes off, or maybe somebody leaves a hose attached and you've got a broken pipe, there are always goofy things that come up with real estate that are not going to come up with your stock or your bond portfolio. And if you want to sell a bond or sell a stock today, you just sell it. But if you need to sell a piece of real estate, that's going to take a while and you're going to pay somebody a 5 or 6 or 8% commission to do it. So I love your strategy. I love your initiative. If you happen to be a, a, a bit of a do-it-yourselfer, you can own rental properties a lot cheaper than paying somebody to do all that fix-up stuff for you. So there's a whole lot of good in that. There are a, a, a number of things to think about, but I love your strategy. And so to, to directly answer your question and circle all the way back around, I wouldn't be inclined to pay down, use that excess cash flow you have to pay down your low fixed-rate mortgage. I think saving it up either for a, uh, a marketable investment account or Buying a rental property or two, I think it's, it could be a terrific idea for you. 
it's a really good uh really good question Eli we went something through through something similar to this David when we sold our first home um and and moved into our current home we kind of went through that same thing it was a pretty good starter home and I was kind of thinking ah this would be a really good home to rent out probably um you know to to a small family um and we're you know close to colleges and that kind of thing where it could work for that purpose as well but at the same time we had been paying so much extra into the mortgage that's where we've been building up all of our we were house rich <laughs> and uh and and savings account poor at that point so we really needed we were going to tap into all of the uh, equity in the home to fund that purchase for the next home um so kind of an interesting perspective if we had instead of pouring extra money into the mortgage just been setting that aside into a different account maybe could have made that transition a lot easier and maybe held onto that property and used it as a uh you know, as a rental property, even to this day. So kind of interesting to look back on it that way, but it kind of went through the same thought process a little bit. Decided that since we were buying a fixer upper though, in the second house, I didn't want to also have to be worrying about (laughs) fixing up the other house. Yeah. The, the day to day, when things are going great with your real estate, whether it's your home or or an investment property, it's really great. And when you start, things start to fray a little bit at the edges, you're like, oh my gosh, did I do the right thing? So <laughs> <laughs> you'll be second second guessing yourself a few times. Uh, For sure. So. I'm sure when you decided to hold on to yours as a rental property too, you kind of have to evaluate everything else you have going on in your life. And is it the right time for, for you? Are you starting a family? And is that going to take up too much time? Or are you in a position to be, hey, I've got extra time to work on the house if things go wrong and to, and to be that landlord? And, um, you know, it's just all part of that. The non-financial part of the equation, I think, is just as important when you talk yeah, rental properties. I think exactly right. So at that point, we were dual income, no kids. Yeah. And so I had a bunch of extra time to go do, you know, work over at that place when I wanted to, hire it out when I didn't want to. And then you discovered the game of golf. (laughs) (laughs) No, the game of raising kids, (laughs) which is way busier than trying to get out to play golf. (laughs) It's even even more difficult. Too good. Eli, thank you for the question. Really good one. And hopefully that gives you some direction and some answers. If you want to talk about it a little bit further with David, don't hesitate to once again reach out. Coveryourassetskc.com place to go online to uh, find out more information and get in touch with David to talk through some of these things. All right, we've got a question here from Jane. Jane says, David, I have a question about 401k funds. If I don't use the target date retirement fund, is there a certain number of funds I should allocate for my 401k? I don't want to under or over diversify. What's the right number of funds or does it just all depend? Well, Jane, it's, that's a good question. You certainly know my answer is it all depends, but I'm going to try to break it down a little bit for you and give you some, some thoughts here. Those target date maturity funds that everybody has in their 401k, they're really just a combination of somebody else, of that company's individual stock and bond mutual funds. So for instance, knowing we were going to answer this question, I called up on one of my charting softwares, a, um, the Vanguard Target Retirement 2035 account. It's anybody can buy it in any account. The ticker symbol is VTTHX. But anyway, the what that is is for somebody arguably who's going to retire in 2035. So you know, 15 years from now, and it is made up of four of their mutual funds, four Vanguard mutual funds. They didn't buy a bunch of individual stocks that are going to make up some cool target date maturity fund. They put in an allocation to four of their funds the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, the Vanguard Total International Stock Index Fund, and then a 
U.S. bond market fund and an international bond market fund. Here's the allocation. They've got about uh, 45% going to U.S. stocks, about 30% going to international stocks, about 18% into bond market U.S., and about 7 or 8% into international. So they're doing for you what you're thinking about doing yourself with your uh, 401k money. Um, the thing that, that they do automatically that you may not think of doing is, right now, if you got the 2035 fund, that would be geared for someone who's going to retire in 14 years. Well, 10 years from now, they will automatically rotate that to a slightly more conservative allocation. Less stocks, more bonds. You may or may not think to do that. So the other thing to be aware of, Jane, is depending on your risk tolerance, when it's evident that you know the, the proverbial stuff is hitting the fan in the stock market, these funds are not built to reduce your risk. They're going to basically stay the same allocation whether the market's going up or the market's going down. If you were paying attention, you might decide, if you built your own allocation, to actually change that allocation to a more conservative stock-bond mix when the stuff is hitting the fan. But these funds, these target date funds, are not going to do that for you. So then the other half of your question is, if I don't use a target date fund, is there a certain number of funds that I should allocate for my 401k? My experience in reviewing people's plans is that it is way easier to be over-allocated to mutual funds than under-allocated. People tend to think, non-financial people tend to think that the more mutual funds they have, the more diversified they are. And what's almost always the case is they, they're going to own the same percentage, of, the same six stocks, the same 10 stocks in every one of the stock mutual funds they own. So they're not really getting diversification. They're getting what I often call the illusion of diversification. So you'll notice that that target date maturity fund, it just had a large allocation to a broad array of U.S. stocks. It didn't try to combine three or four or five Vanguard mutual funds that owned U.S. stocks. It owned one ETF, exchange-traded fund, inside of that mutual fund that had a broad exposure to U.S. stocks. So, Jane, if you, put, if you try to put an allocation together for yourself, you know, some 401k plans offer 10 different alternatives. Some offer 50 different alternatives. Uh, without, and, and this is not specific advice because I don't actually know Jane. We've never sat down and talked. I don't know her risk tolerance. I don't even know her age. But if you were going to put together a, an allocation for yourself, what you'd probably want to do is have some sort of allocation to the S&P 500. Maybe an allocation to small cap stocks, probably an allocation to international stocks, and then depending on your risk tolerance and your age, 20 to 40% allocation to some sort of uh, fixed income, some sort of bond allocation. What I almost, I mean, I can't think of a reason why I would ever suggest to anybody that if there are 12 mutual fund offerings in your 401k, Put a little bit in each of the 12. I would just never say that because then you are dramatically over-allocated such that you really don't have significant diversification and you probably couldn't 
describe the diversification you have to anybody. It's like a uh, too much of a good thing at that point. <laughs> yeah, one thing, I, I don't know, I can't remember when I learned this. This could have been in seventh grade art class because I had a super, Mrs. Garrett was awesome at, at seventh grade art. But what I remember from some time in my youth was if you have a, a canvas and a palette of colors, the more colors you keep adding to your picture, eventually it does turn super dark purple or black because you have so many colors added to it that once you get them all in there, it just becomes mush. So don't have a mush 401k. Actually be, be deliberate in what you're trying to accomplish. And if you don't know how to do that, a target date retirement fund is a really good choice for someone who wants to keep it fairly high level and fairly much on autopilot. So Jane, excellent question. I'm, I'm super glad you're using your 401k. Hopefully you're using your Roth 401k as well. And Take a look at those target date funds unless you are a, a, a pretty darn informed do-it-yourselfer. Very uh, great ideas, I think, in that answer, David. Thank you for the clarity and the help uh, and the direction there. Jane, hopefully that answers a lot of questions for you. And if you have any additional concerns or thoughts that you want to run by David or, again, look at your specific situation in more detail, you can do that. Go to CoverYourAssetsKC.com or just check the uh, show notes section of the program for uh, the correct contact information to get in touch with David. Great question so far from Eli and Jane. Let's now get to our third and final question from Mary. Mary says, I've been maxing out contributions toward an HSA for the past few years and feel ready to invest these funds. Since I am still over 20 years from retirement age, should I use the auto investment advisor tool to get my HSA funds in the market or should I reach out to a financial advisor to help me decide? So Mary, uh, congrats for using the HSA. Uh, just as a quick little description for people who are listening who don't know what that is, that's a health savings account. It is the best thing going from the U.S. government for what, what it allows you to do is contribute money. Uh, in this case, uh, Mary is under 55, so but just based on the information she gave me. So she can put 3600 bucks a year into this account. She gets a tax deduction for putting the money in. It grows tax-free. And when she takes the money out to pay for health care expenses, you know, eye surgery or, you know, whatever you are spending health care dollars on, that money comes out tax-free. So it's even better than a Roth account. It is the, it, it is the best thing going from a tax standpoint in America. So congrats for having one. And you said you've been doing it for a few years, and so that's a good thing too. Let's say you might have, I don't know, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars built up in that, uh, because the, the, the way you can get money out is using it on health care, and perhaps you're a super healthy 45-year-old and you've never had to use it. So the auto investor tool, that's likely going to be a robo-advisor, if that means anything to our listeners. But it's very likely going to fit you into a target date fund, just like we talked about in Jane's question. So depending on Mary's age and maybe a few other demographic questions that the uh, auto investment advisor tool is going to ask, it's going to put her into, it's going to suggest to her probably a target date retirement fund allocation. And that might be you know, 75% stock and 25% bond, or depending on other questions it might ask you, it could be less or, or more. 
So if you were at 40, at 45, the, the last question is, should I reach out to a financial advisor to help me decide? Honestly, for what I tell all of my young friends, my, my nephews, my any acquaintance that I have, sons and daughters of friends of mine, I tell them pretty much, and again, this is not specific investment advice for you, Mary, or for anyone else listening here. But generically speaking, if you're young and you have a reasonable risk tolerance, I would go more heavily into stock, and that's where a target date maturity fund is going to put you. Because you've got a long time before you're going to use most of these funds. And when the market goes down, unless you're going to react emotionally very badly, you just are going to let that money ride out the turmoil. So I would probably not, unless you have a financial advisor for, some of, for another part of your life, uh, I probably wouldn't reach out to one specifically for that. If you, were, if you said you were 55 or 58 or 60, I would absolutely tell you to go find a financial advisor that you trust that can help you as you're, since you're a lot closer to retirement. But in your early 40s, I'd probably just use that auto advisor tool and invest as it says and keep pounding away on that uh, HSA every year. Hopefully you won't need it for health-related uh, issues over the next 20 years. And who knows, by the time you get to retirement age, that could be a really large tax-free <laughs> pot of money that you can use for um, your health care needs uh, during your retirement. So it's a great, great program. If you don't have an HSA, you, in order to have an HSA, you have to have a high-deductible health care plan. So I, I don't know the percentage of Americans that have one of those, uh, but if you have one, you absolutely need to establish an HSA and contribute to it. If you happen to be over 55, age 55, then instead of 3600 bucks a year, you can put in 4600 bucks a year. And if you're married, so can your spouse. So these accounts can get to be fairly large, always tax-free. They're really a terrific deal. David, uh, thank you for the answers to the questions today. I think the one thing that strikes me as a bit interesting is that you seem almost okay with some of the automated options out there. I would say that goes a little counter to what I've heard a lot of other financial advisors say, where they bash anything that's automated, anything that's got the word robo <laughs> in it and that kind of thing, but you sort of embrace it in maybe the correct dosages or for the correct purposes. You seem to embrace a little bit of that technological advancement of the you know, various robo things these days. Well, I do, and, and I'm just, I'm super pragmatic. I, I think that when you, the, the most important thing about achieving your financial goals when you're young is to start early, don't have credit card debt, don't do stupid stuff with your money, and just keep your head down on your career because your career is going to, for the vast majority of Americans, your career, your earnings, and what you don't spend out of those earnings, in other words, what you invest, that's going to determine how well you retire and not necessarily the earnings on that money you put away. So put it away, Keep your head down, work on your career, and once you get to be 48 or 52 or 58, go find yourself a really good financial advisor that can help you through the last decade of your working life. Because if you haven't done well for yourself, you won't need a financial advisor. If you have done well, you will 
absolutely want someone to help you navigate the 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 tax and the market uh, issues that you're going to get to once you're in your mid fifties, late fifties, and into retirement. Time is our friend for many, many, many years, and then it becomes a. Uh, uh, enemy might be a bit of a strong word, but it's no longer helping us or working for us. So that's the time when you need to bring in the financial advisor to help combat that loss of time being your friend. You need to make a new friend at that point, and that would be your financial advisor. I think that that kind of works. I like that. That, that kind of uh, works for me. That, that evolution works well, yeah. Uh, so there you have it. If you have any questions like the great ones that we had on today's show from Eli, Jane, and Mary, please feel free to reach out talk to David about your situation, get into the nitty and gritty, into the details if you like, and uh, that's the best way to give you guidance going forward. Uh, David can put you through the complete planning review process. All you have to do is give a call to 913-317-1414 to get in touch. That's 913-317-1414, or go online to coveryourassetskc.com and get in touch with us through the website. And as always, we'll put contact info in the description of today's show. David, thanks so much for the help on the program today. Always enjoy the mailbag segments with you, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again next week. Yeah, I think next week we're going to do, I'm working on it right now, but it's probably going to be called something like Five Keys to Healthy uh, Financial Foundation. So, So building that financial foundation when you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s so that you get to the 50s, 60s, and 70s that you really want. So if that sounds interesting to you or to, or to somebody you know, I hope, hope you uh, look forward to next week. Yeah, it'd be a great episode for any of our younger, quote-unquote, younger listeners uh, on the program, or if you are uh, already retired and have some folks in your life that are in that age range and looking to build that healthy financial foundation, be sure to send that next episode along to them along with today's as well, because I think there are a lot of good nuggets uh, for younger investors in our episode today in addition. So go check that out. That'll be on next week's show. We'll be right back here with you on the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Until then, for David, I'm Walter. We'll talk to you soon. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and KC Financial Advisors are independent of each other.